Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you um, that it's sunny outside. Thank you, Father, for just the way you're working in lives. Thank you for how you're teaching us about prayer. And so, Lord, I pray as we look at the Psalm of David this morning that you would speak to me and that you would speak to all of us in how you want to work in our lives in this area of lament. Father, thank you so much. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, yesterday morning, uh, I think most of us were probably a little surprised to hear these tornado sirens go off. Now, I know some of you were sleeping. I heard one person say, we didn't hear them go off. Uh, I was fixing breakfast. Actually, I was toasting my Eggo waffles at the time. And I heard that faint noise. I don't live close to the tornado alarm siren, so it's not real close by. But I heard it and I thought, hmm, I wonder what's going on. So I turned on the television to see that, yes, there were tornado warnings, but they weren't for where I lived, and so I was ignoring them. And I decided I would eat breakfast yesterday with the television, watching the weather, and then right as I was ready to turn it off, it said, a tornado warning has been given for Cordova, Germantown, Collierville. And then I heard him say, now, if you live in Cordova, find a safe room. And I didn't really know what a safe room was in my house because I have lots of windows. But I went in, got, found my guest bathroom. I put a little blanket on the floor, got Hobson in there. Hannah wouldn't come, and I told her she was on her own. <clears throat> that if something came, if she, she was on her own. But nothing happened, and we were spared, most of us. Now, I know there are some places here in Dallas, uh, in Memphis yesterday, that did get hit. Dallas, many of you have friends and family in Dallas. Uh, They had a tough time with, I was looking at pictures Sunday night and last night of some of the areas in Dallas. I'm still waiting to hear from friends about what happened to their homes. You know, every one of us in this room are going to have days that are, are going to have surprises, that are going to have things happen that we were not planning on and weren't counting on. It's not going to go the way that we'd like our day to go. We're going to have days that we're going to face disappointment, suffering, loss, pain, fears, overwhelming circumstances. And it may not be a physical loss like from a tornado, but it could be hurt and sadness in other ways. And, and again, the question is how do we handle those days, those difficult times? Well, this week we studied Psalm 25. And Psalm 25 is a lament psalm. I was reading an article recently by a pastor who is a lead pastor at a church in Indianapolis named Mark Brogop. I hope I'm saying his name right. Um, But he said, he defined lament in this way, and I love his definition. He said, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It's a prayer in pain. You're in pain and you're praying, and it leads to trust. 
And I think that is a very accurate definition and description of lament. Now, many believe that Psalm 25 was most likely written at the end of David's life when he says, don't remember the sins of my youth. They use that as a a reasoning why. They think he was probably at the end of his life. They say some scholars think it could have been during the time that his son Absalom was leading a revolt against him. But we really don't know what was going on at the time that caused him to lament. But regardless of the situation, he was distressed. He drew near to the Lord. In Psalm 25, uh, we call it an acrostic psalm, meaning that every verse begins with a consecutive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, like we would do A, B, C, D, and they would do their Hebrew letters. Although there's a few exceptions to this, because one letter is used twice, and then another letter's totally left out, probably like Q in our, I don't know, it just got left out. And then the very last verse just doesn't even fit. The, the letter is totally out of order. And we'll talk about the last verse a little bit later on. <clears throat> but this psalm hits home for anybody who is going through struggle and depress, uh, distress. And maybe today you're going through something hard. Maybe you're uh, distressed about something in your life. And let me just say, you have the freedom to lament. Lamenting is not a sign of weakness. When you look at what it means to lament, it simply means to pour out your heart to God in complete honesty. And David did this many times in the Psalms. Job did this. We just studied Job a few weeks ago. He lamented all throughout that book. And I mentioned in your study that there are seven parts to a lament. But only one part needs to be present to make it a lament, and that is the complaint. What is it that is distressing you, that is troubling you? What's grieving your heart? That makes it a lament when you express that. So we see several things from David's prayer in Psalm 25 that show us the heart of someone who is lamenting. And so what I want to do this morning is walk you through and give you six characteristics of a healthy lamenter as we look at Psalm 25. And so I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 25. We're going to walk through this together, and we're going to look at six characteristics of a healthy lamenter. And the first characteristic is that he's needy, verses 1 to 3. He's needy. And you may say, well, I don't really see neediness as a healthy characteristic. And you're right. I mean, I'm not, but I'm not talking here about somebody who is is always needy and demanding and expecting that everybody's going to do this for them, do that for them. I'm talking here about recognizing our neediness for God. That's healthy. When we say, God, I need you, and I cannot do this without you. And so he begins in verse 1, and he says, To you, O Yahweh, I lift up my soul. And he's basically saying, Lord, 
I need you. I can't handle this on my own. And so I'm just bearing my heart to you. I am bringing to you everything that I'm feeling because I need you. And so in these first three verses, he expresses his trust in God. In verse 2, he says, Oh my God, in you I trust. And then he asks that he not be ashamed. In other words, he's saying, God, don't let my enemies defeat me. Don't let them publicly embarrass me or put me to shame, saying, where's your God here? David knew he was in a situation where he needed God's help. He was needy, and he knew he couldn't handle it on his own. My first year on staff with Campus Crusade, I was dating another guy, on staff with Crusade. We'd gone through staff training together and ended up being assigned to the same campus. And I really uh, liked Barry. I think I was falling in love with Barry. But that fall, I got mono, and I sort of had to pull away from things and just was not out on campus, not hanging out with them the way I had been. And I went to a Christmas conference that Christmas and found out that Barry had been dating one of the girls I was discipling, and they got engaged at Christmas. And to make it worse, the next year, my second year there, I had asked my director to remove me from the campus and put me, just send me somewhere else. I do not want to work with this couple. And he said, nope, uh, I'm actually going to put you in charge of the women's ministry this, this coming year. And I said, well, put some other singles, especially a guy. Put some other singles on this team. And he said, "Uh, no, it's going to be you and me and my wife and Barry and Jeannie. And I looked at him and I said, you are very cruel. Um, He said, you've got to trust me because I believe this is what God wants for you. And I lamented to God, trust me. I cried out to God, and I told him exactly how I felt. I told him this was not fair. There was no way that I was going to get through this. They, were, I, they did not understand. But you know what? God worked so greatly that year because he gave me such a love for Barry and Jeannie. And we worked so well together. And we're still friends today. I'm watching their grandkids, and I'm thinking, God, they were the perfect couple. But I would have never worked through that pain if I hadn't been there that second year. But I lamented, and I knew I was needy because I knew there was no way I was going to get through that season apart from God. A characteristic of a healthy lamenter is that we've got to express our need for God. Are you needy? Do you need God? We need to express that. Second characteristic, he's teachable. Verses 4 to 5. He says, Make me know your ways, O Yahweh. Teach me your paths. Lead me in the truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day. 
He wants to follow God's path. He wants to do the right thing in God's eyes. He's teachable. He's crying out to God, God, show me what to do here. How do I walk through this in a way that pleases you? And I love the phrase in verse 5, for you, I wait all the day. If we're teachable to God, we're willing to wait on him, to act, to give us direction. And where we make mistakes is when we get impatient with God and we start taking things into our own hands, thinking that we have a plan that's better than God's plan. Or that, well, God, you're not working fast enough, so I'm going to get involved here. And typically, that's when it gets us in a mess. I've seen that in my own life when I've not waited. If we're teachable, we're willing to wait on God and trust him. Are you teachable to God? Are you waiting on him to work in his way, in his timing? So the first two characteristics of a healthy lamenter are he's needy and he's teachable. The third characteristic, he's repentant in verses 6 to 11. David is aware of his sin, and he still remembers his past sin. In verse 7, he says, Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. He knows he's a sinner, and he knows he needs forgiveness. And so he focuses on God's character, his compassion, his loving kindness, his goodness, his uprightness. And because he knows God's character, he knows how God deals with sinners. Verses 8 and 9, he says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice. He teaches the humble his way. And in verse 18, he later asks God to forgive all of his sins. He knows he's not perfect. He knows that he's got sins that he has to deal with. And sometimes when we lament, we want to put all the blame on the other person. God, I'm in such a a bad spot here. If he had only done this, well, if she had not done that, and we tend to blame others, but what we need to do in lament in a healthy way is that we need to ask God, search my heart, Lord. Have I done something? Show me my sin. But then we need to confess it and not dwell on it. Confess it and move on. Are you aware of the sins in your life? Are you dealing with those sins in the right way? Are you repentant? So a healthy lamenter is needy, he's teachable, he's repentant, and the fourth characteristic is that he's reverent. Verses 12 to 15. Verse 12, he says, Who is the man who fears the Lord? Verse 14, he says, The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. A healthy lamenter fears the Lord. He reveres God. Share your heart, but don't lose sight of who God is. Focus on his character. 
You know, there have been times in my life that I have told God, um, I don't feel like you love me right now, God. Because if you did, I don't think this would be going on. Or why are you doing this to me? Why did you allow this to happen? But your word says you love me. And your word says you're a God of love. And God, even though I don't feel it, I'm going to believe it. And so I choose to believe your word over my feelings. Be honest with them. Tell them what you're feeling. But always go back to his word. Be reverent. Verse 14, he says, The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. And that word secret in the Hebrew is translated as counsel or intimacy. In other words, those who fear God will know God more intimately and they'll know his counsel. They'll know what he's directing them to do. So fearing God in in reverence draws us into a deeper intimacy with God. And that leads us to a deeper trust in him. And I love verse 15. It was one of our theme verses years ago for women's ministry. My eyes are continually toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. David is looking to God for help. And as we lament, we have to keep our eyes on God and revere him and respect him and not keep our eyes on the circumstances. We look to him and we trust that he is going to provide and walk us through the journey. One of my seminary professors, Dr. Uh, Tom Constable, said that fearing the Lord will result in listening to his word. When we fear the Lord, it will result in listening to his word. And his word will guide us forward in our pain and our hurt. Do you fear the Lord? Do you revere him as you come to him? A healthy lamenter is needy. He's teachable. He's repentant. He's reverent. And fifth, he's honest. Verses 16 to 19. Verse 16, he says, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. And he goes on in verses 17 and 18, and he's basically just saying, God, I am troubled. I am distressed. I'm afflicted. David did not ignore his feelings. He didn't pretend that they weren't there. He wasn't trying to put on a brave front and say, Everything's fine. Everything's good. He told God exactly what he was feeling. When we lament, we need to be honest with God about what we're feeling. And I've heard friends say, I had a young woman that stopped by my office a few weeks ago before the break and said, I started this lesson on David. I read just the introduction and I had to shut the book because I knew what was coming. You're going to make me lament, aren't you? And I said, yes. And she said, I just don't think I can do it. And, you know, and I understand because I've heard people say, I don't want to write a lament because I don't want to go back and feel those feelings 
that have put me here. I don't want to revisit it. I just want to forget it and move on. And I understand that. But there is something about telling God just gut level, this is what I am feeling, God, that it releases the weight of that and it sets you free. I remember the first time I wrote a lament. I couldn't believe how once I started, the words just started to flow and I started to cry and I thought, I didn't realize I had all these feelings. And then it was like a release. And God knew what I was feeling. But it was something about telling him that just freed me up. And that's why I encourage you to do that. You know, David was honest with God about how he was feeling. Job was honest with God about how he was feeling. Jesus was honest in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when we're honest with God that's when he could really begin to work in us and bring us to that place of quiet trust. I remember those days in my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, and yes, even in my 50s, when I would watch another friend get engaged and get married. And I would cry out to God and I'd go, and I honestly would do this at times, uh, hello, God? Uh, are you missing me? Where I'm here. Why is everybody else getting married and not me? Am I not pretty enough? Am I not special enough? There have been times I've dated a guy and thought he was the one, and then we, it didn't work out, and then I'd see who he'd married, and I'd go, God, <laughs> her over me? What is up with this? And I have lamented and lamented, and I would tell him exactly, you know, Lord, I want a normal life. Normal, in the world's eyes. I want a normal life with kids and grandkids and somebody to hold hands with, you know, and walk down the hall and and grow old with. Of course, I've had women sit in my office and say, Cricket, your life looks so good to me right now. But, you know, I have, I, have, I have lamented and poured out. I've said, God, I am lonely. I feel forgotten. I am angry that he married her instead of me. I'm jealous. But, you know, by pouring out those feelings, and it's taken those decades, God, it brought me to that place of, Cricket, do you believe that I love you? I do. Do you believe that I have a plan for your life? I do. Are you willing to trust me? I do. And over that time, and I've shared this with y'all before, this is nothing new, that God has shown me that his purpose for me is to be totally his and to be totally devoted to his ministry. And I realize, I, I watch you young moms And I think, there's no way that I could do what I'm doing now if I had a house full of kids. And so, God, I'm willing to follow you. But we've got to lament and pour out those feelings because that's when God has the freedom to work in us. And we begin to turn it into joy. 
And I've had women try to set me up with people. I'm like, not interested now. I'm sorry. I'm at a place where I'm content. And so um, when I start to have a pity party or a comparison party, then I lament and I pour out my honest feelings. And he always brings me back to that place of quiet trust. Are you honest with God about how you're feeling? With his purpose for you? With your season of life? Are you honest with him? Are you telling him how you feel? Be honest. A healthy lamenter is needy. He is teachable. He is repentant. He is reverent. He is honest. And the last characteristic, he's hopeful. In verse 20 and 21, he says, Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. David's at peace here. He's hopeful that his God is going to deliver him. He's hopeful that he's not going to be ashamed. And in the midst of his pain and his trouble, he takes refuge in God. And he waits for God to work in his life. He's hopeful. And I love those words, his final words, I wait for you. And that's really the result of a healthy lamenter. I wait for you, God. When we get to that place that we can say, I I trust you and I'm waiting for you to work. And just like I said at the beginning, that pastor's definition, lament is a prayer that leads to trust. We come to verse 22. He says, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Again, this verse You know, when you first look at it, and even scholars say it just doesn't belong in the psalm. It just seems out of place because he shifts his focus now from himself to Israel. And there there are different views on that verse. Some have said um, they think it was added later by somebody else. Others believe he's just ending by praying for all of Israel, not just himself. We don't really know why that verse is there, but we know it's there for a reason. I think an application, though, that we can take from this is that even though we're in deep lament and we're focused on our situation, don't forget the bigger community. That we need to not just lament for ourselves, but lament for those around us that are hurting. When we're in a hard season and we've lost hope and we're feeling discouraged and we're distressed, Follow David's example and lament. God may not change your circumstances, but he can change us. Are you hopeful that God is going to work? Can you say, I will wait on you? So we've looked at six characteristics from this psalm of a healthy lamenter. He's needy, he's teachable, He's reverent, he's repentant, he's honest, and he's hopeful. And some of you are in the middle of a hard season today. And I hope you wrote a lament this week. And if you hadn't, I really want you to reconsider that.
and go home and do that. Lift up your soul to him. Pour out your heart. But lament in a healthy way. One of my favorite hymns is the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And that hymn is a lament in its own way. Uh, You probably know the story behind this hymn. It's been talked about, but I'll just share it anyway. It was written by Horatio Spafford. After he had numerous traumatic events in his life, his son died at the age of two, and then the great Chicago fire of 1871 just ruined him financially. And then two years later, in 1873, his business interests were further hit by the economic downturn. And so during that time, because so many things had happened, he planned to take his family to Europe for just a getaway, just to get away from it. And just last minute, a late change of plan because of some business situations. He decided to send his family on ahead, and he stayed behind. And for those of you who know the story, while they were crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship that his family was on collided with another vessel. And it very quickly sank, and his four daughters all drowned, and they died. And he got that famous telegram now that just had two words, saved alone. And then shortly after that, he um, traveled to meet his grieving wife. And as he was on the ship going to Europe, as he came close to that place where his daughters died, he felt led by the Lord to write the words to that hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I remember sitting at the funeral here at First Evan several months ago of a young man in this church, James Ingram. Some of you know him. He uh, went to work one morning driving a taxi and was hit head on by another car killed instantly. And at his funeral, um, we sang this song. And I'll never forget it because, and I started out singing with him. But I watched his family, his mother, his wife, his sister, and the other family members. And as we sang this song, They were standing with their hands up, singing, Whatever my lot, it is well. And they were just praising God. It is well. It is well with my soul. And I couldn't sing. I was just crying. Because here was a family that was heartbroken. But they were praising God. It is well. That is a healthy lament. And so, I want us to close by singing this song together. And as we do, think about what is your lot today? What does God 
Where does he have you? And can we sing these words? God, whether I lose somebody today that I love, or whether I get this diagnosis, or whether everything is great, it is well with my soul. I'm going to pray, and then, Jimmy Lou, if you'll come lead us. And you can come on up. Father, thank you so much that we can sing those words. It is well with our soul because we know our God. And we know that nothing happens that's out of your will. Father, teach us to lament and teach us to be healthy lamenters. In Jesus' name, amen.